The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. and health animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan program. You know, one of the memories that will be in my brain as long as I am on this planet is the first day I walked into a health food store. I had just committed to being vegetarian And we're talking 1969, when health food stores were little, tiny, dingy places run by elders that I couldn't tell if I admired in their eccentricity or I was a little bit afraid of. But I had to go to this health food store because where else would I find the thing to put where the meat used to be? Well, I found a a can of some sort of ground beef something. I lifted it from the shelf and there was a dust ring because evidently that can had sat there for a long time. And I took it home so afraid that I was going to open this can and it would be so much like dog food (laughs) that I wouldn't be able to go further. But... I did, and I'm here, and I'm a vegan. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this program. Thank you so much for being with us today. And that little intro has to do with how very, very different the world is today when it comes to what do you put where the meat used to be because the world is changing thanks to people like our first guest, Bruce Friedrich. Bruce has been on before, and I would highly recommend that you go into the archives and look up that earlier show. He was talking then about his work at the Good Food Institute, the nonprofit organization that promotes innovative alternatives to industrially produced animal products. He was also talking at that time about his Catholicism and uh, about the Pope's encyclical, which Bruce called at that time, 
almost an animal rights manifesto. Bruce has penned opinion pieces for USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, LA Times, and many other publications. And what we're going to be focusing on today is his brand new book, co-authored with Kathy Freston, who's also been on the show a couple of times. And that book is called Clean Protein, about this revolution. That's going to reshape your body and boost your energy and save the planet. Welcome, Bruce Friedrich. Thank you so much, Victoria. It is an absolute delight and pleasure to be with you again. Thank you so much. So tell us about the new book. Why did you and Kathy decide to get together and make a book baby? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, Kathy and I have been close friends for um, more than a decade, and we have been talking about myths about protein for pretty much the entire time. So uh, she, I mean, I guess uh, we were talking about people, the, the sort of strange thing that you know, and probably your listeners, listeners know as well as, as anyone, when somebody says that they have gone vegetarian or vegan, the inevitable question is, well, where do you get your protein? And we're sort of laughing about the fact that vegetarians and vegans get 70% more protein on average than the USDA recommends as ideal. Uh, and yet people don't get enough fiber. And on the one hand, you know, it's, it's a little bit funny that people are so obsessed about protein uh, since in the United States, in the West, uh, it is not diseases of deficiency that we're suffering from. Uh, it's diseases of excess that we're suffering from. But but then there is the one nutrient that people are deficient in. More than 97% of people are deficient in fiber. Uh, so the real question that people should be asking uh, and the deficiency that actually leads to uh, things like heart disease and cancer and Alzheimer's disease and all kinds of problems, obesity, diabetes, uh, is fiber deficiency. We, we literally have more than 97% um, of Americans deficient in fiber. And men ages 15 to 49, uh, it's effectively 100% deficiency in fiber. So we thought it would be fun to, to talk about protein and where to get protein and how to get protein sort of uh, through that lens. That is fascinating. So what defines clean protein and why is that better than what most people think of as protein? Um, Well, the the subtitle of of the book, uh, as you know, the revolution that will reshape your body, boost your energy and save our planet. So uh, clean protein is is clean protein in two ways, at least. Uh, It's clean protein in that it will help to save the planet uh, because it is protein that is significantly less bad. The production is significantly less bad than the production of animal proteins, which, as you know, uh, is disproportionately responsible for climate change, water pollution, species loss, the sort of full range. And then it's also clean protein because it's literally cleaner. It doesn't have any of the antibiotic residues. It doesn't have any of the the drug residues. Um, it doesn't cause food poisoning. So it's it's cleaner in that that respect as well. Well, that is a way that I don't think many of us, even longtime vegans, have ever looked at it or ever used in our discussions with other people. So you've got something really exciting here in clean protein. Now, in Chapter 9, you talk about plant-based meat, and in Chapter 10, you talk about clean meat. So just so everybody's clear, what's the difference? 
so plant-based meat is is literally that plant-based meat um i like the way that uh ethan brown the founder of beyond meat he says you know the year was 2009 and he was thinking about what he personally could do to decrease to to have a positive impact on the impending climate change disaster and he was aware of the united nations report which indicated that more climate change is caused by animal agriculture than is caused by all of transportation. So most of the times when we're thinking about what we might personally do to alleviate climate change, we think about transportation. We think about driving less, uh, if we're getting a new car, switching to a hybrid, that sort of thing. Um, And the United Nations said that, in fact, uh, meat consumption causes about 40% more climate change than all the planes, all the trains, all the trucks, all the cars in the world combined. And Ethan thought, you know, we could make meat from plants. Uh, Meat is made up of amino acids and lipids and minerals and water. Uh, There is nothing in meat that can't be made from plants. And he launched the company Beyond Meat. Um, And they were followed by Impossible Foods, And the gauntlet had been sort of thrown down and some of the sort of legacy companies like Tofurky and Field Roast and um, other companies started doing even more innovation than they had been doing previously. And the market sector for plant-based meat had sort of been vegetarians and vegans predominantly. And you can have a half-billion-dollar market just marketing to vegetarians and vegans and and flexitarians, and uh, that's what the plant-based meat market has been. Um, up until a couple of years ago. And the brainstorm of Ethan Brown and Pat Brown, who who found it impossible, and, and now a lot of the people at a lot of these companies that have been around a little bit longer, the brainstorm is we can produce meat that is either – it tastes the same or better, that is price competitive um, – we can produce meat from plants, and that's uh, essentially what they're doing. And uh, it's extraordinarily exciting because it's it's just it's better all around. It has fiber. It has complex carbohydrates. It doesn't have as much saturated fat. It doesn't have any cholesterol at all. Uh, so it's it's better for the environment, for uh, the global poor, for animals, and better for our health. So that's plant-based meat. Uh, clean meat is real meat grown directly from cells. So using the techniques of you know, regenerative agriculture, you actually just take... So what we do right now is we take a cow and we feed the cow uh, or the pig or the chicken. We feed them an overwhelming amount of grain. It takes nine calories in the form of grain to get one calorie back out from a chicken. And chicken is the most efficient uh, animal at converting feed crops into meat. And yet... It's 800% food waste, essentially. Um, It takes nine calories in to get one calorie out. The rest of those calories go into raising the chicken to slaughter weight. So clean meat, instead of feeding the animal and a lot of those calories going into parts of the animal that we don't eat um, and a lot of those calories going into keeping the animal alive, we just feed the cells directly and then the cells multiply and grow Um, And then you harvest the meat. You're growing just the meat and you're doing it in essentially, you know, huge uh, vats. It it looks sort of like a brewery. So um, think of, you know, the future of meat being meat breweries, essentially. Wow. (laughs) I just went to the contest last week at Marty's V Burger. They were having a deal. You got to vote for the Beyond Meat Burger or the Impossible Burger and which one you liked better. 
And because I've been vegan, you know, way over half, well, vegetarian, at least way over half my life and almost that long as a vegan, I just, you know, was like, it's got to be the plant-based one. It's the Beyond Meat one. The impossible was just too much like meat. Now, my husband, who's been vegetarian 20 years, so he's been at it a while, but still, he really missed that flavor. And so he went with the impossible burger. So very both plant-based, though, because we can't get the clean meat yet. Not that I don't think vegans would even want to eat that. I certainly wouldn't. But golly, for all those other 98% of the people who want to be eating it, how terrific when it happens, not to mention for cats and certain dogs. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, oftentimes vegetarians and vegans will will say, well, I'm not going to eat that. And, you know, we, we've got you. We, we really don't care what you eat. Like... <laughs> Your switching to clean meat is not going to, you know, do anything particularly good. But as you rightly note, more than 95% of Americans are continuing to eat meat. So uh, switching them from meat that is so incredibly harmful to the environment, yeah. to the global poor, um, and to animals, to meat that doesn't have those adverse impacts, that's a, that's a pretty colossal win. That's colossal. So what's some new information that we're going to get when we read clean meat? that even those of us who think we know everything don't know yet? Um, well, there's a, I mean, a, there is a lot. I mean, hopefully uh, just about everything in the book is uh, at least somewhat new to people. Um, probably for people who are already vegan, uh, it's chapters 9 and 10, as well as the recipes and the sort of strategies for um, being vegan in a non-vegan world. And um, I, I mean, I guess... I would recommend for people who are vegan that this book is probably a really nice introduction uh, for friends and family who are not already vegan. It's it's definitely um, we recommend that people lean into this way of eating, and we offer an awful lot of examples for how people can do that. Uh, we have some fantastic recipes uh, that were curated by our good friend Jason Weirich. Um and I think probably the the stuff that will be maybe most new and interesting are chapters nine and ten. Chapter nine is uh, basically tells the the stories of Pat Brown and Ethan Brown and sort of how plant based meat went from being sort of veggie burgers to plant based meat. And chapter ten uh, does basically the same thing with clean meat. But um, we do, do uh, we pack a lot of information about the science of clean protein. Um, as well as examples of how one might go about shifting from eating predominantly animal-based protein to eating predominantly or all plant-based protein. And how do you deal with the idea that people conflate protein with meat or certainly with animal food? And, and how can we help people understand that protein is really in everything and there's quite a bit of it in some plants? I mean, that's a lot of what we talk about in the book. I mean, we, we simultaneously uh, dispel the myth that people need to eat quite as much protein as, as people uh, seem to think they need to eat. And we talk about the fact that vegetarians and vegans on average get 70% more protein uh, than the USDA says that they need. But both Kathy and I do believe, I mean, we are big protein fans and we start our days with protein smoothies and we uh, travel with uh, mixed nuts and um, Kathy is a big fan of protein powder. So, I mean, to, to a degree, we're talking about uh, the fact that probably the nutrient that people don't need to be worried about 
um, is protein. Fiber is the nutrient that people don't need to be worried about. Uh, but for those of us who are big fans of protein, and protein is essential to life, and uh, an awful lot of people feel like when they consume a protein shake, this is certainly my experience, um, I feel like I get a boost of energy that is very welcome. Uh, but looking at clean protein as opposed to dirty protein, looking at the fact that if you're getting your protein from beans and nuts and whole grains, uh, you are going to be healthier. You will be far more likely to be a healthy weight. You'll be much less likely to get diabetes and heart disease and cancer and these various other problems. Um, and, of course, it's just a cleaner product, as we discussed uh, at the beginning of the show, uh, and you know, cleaner conscience as well because Aww. you're not causing all of the, all of the harms that come with uh, industrial animal products. So true. So, Bruce, you and Kathy described this as a revolution. That's a pretty powerful word. Why, why can you use that word in good conscience, and why is now the time for it to happen? Well, I mean, I think we've got the sort of triumvirate, right? We've got what we have been working on for a while, which is whole foods, plant-based products, beans, uh, nuts, whole grains, vegetables, um, and then we have plant-based meat. Um, and then we have clean meat. And the fact that plant-based meat and clean meat are basically an answer for everybody who's not yet ready for a completely whole foods, plant-based diet, uh, the fact that they are biomimicking. Um, so they are producing products that are going to taste the same. And because they are more efficient, they are going to cost less. What that means is that Tyson Foods is excited about this. They launched a venture capital fund, and their very first investment was in Beyond Meat, so plant-based meat. Um, and Tyson Foods, of course, is the largest meat purveyor in the United States by a wide margin. And then Cargill, which is one of the biggest beef producers in the world, the largest privately held company in the United States, Cargill has invested in Memphis Meats, which is a clean meat company. So even the meat industry sees plant-based meat and clean meat as the future. And you have people like... Um, Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google and now the chair of the board of Google's parent company, when he was asked for six technological innovations that he thinks will transform society in a positive way by a factor of at least tenfold, the first thing he talked about was plant-based meat. Bill Gates called plant-based meat the future of food. Richard Branson said that in 35 years, he thinks 100% of meat will be either plant-based meat or clean meat. So, you know, nothing is uh, more elemental to who we are as human beings than what we eat. And what we eat is about to be radically transformed in the next couple of decades. So it's, it's absolutely a revolution. That is exciting. And, and here's a little bit of activism. Somebody could start a campaign to get Virgin Airlines to serve only plant-based meat. Why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if the sure. founder has sure. this vision. Yeah, Richard Branson's a big fan of plant-based meat and clean meat. That would be uh, that, and he and he wrote on his blog on the blog on Virgin, uh, the Virgin blog. He, that's where that's where he said that plant-based meat and clean meat in 35 years is going to be 100. percent Wow, that is so cool. Well, Bruce, bless your heart. Thanks so much to you and Kathy for writing this book. Everybody, get it, read it. Clean protein, and uh, also check out the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, and you'll have all the places where you can find Bruce and all the good work that he is doing at the Good Food Institute. And if you get a chance to hear him speak, oh my gosh, do it. He's a storyteller. He's a visionary. He'll change your life in one hour. Bruce, thank you so much for being alive at the same time as me. <laughs> thank you so much, Victoria. It's just uh, such an honor and a pleasure. I always always get a lot out of our conversations and enjoy uh, it. So, me thanks. too. 
Thanks so much. And everybody else, stay with us, because right after the break, we are bringing on Michelle McMacken, MD. You saw her in What the Health, and now you can hear her and learn all she knows. Well, not all of it, but quite a bit. Stay tuned. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Such a pleasure to have you with us today. Um, just want you to know that we have a lot of stuff going on over at MainStreetVegan.net. We do a weekly blog, and I say we because sometimes I write it, and sometimes it's a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy, our wonderful in-person program here in New York City that trains and certifies vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. So do check out the blog, check out the site. We 
love to support you on your plant word journey. And I am very, very honored right now to be introducing Michelle McMacken, MD. She actually teaches for us at Main Street Vegan Academy whenever she can fit that into her extremely busy schedule. Dr. McMacken is a board-certified internal medicine physician and assistant professor of medicine at NYU School of Medicine, an honors graduate of Yale University and Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. She practices primary care, directs a weight management program, and teaches doctors in training at Bellevue Hospital Center in New York City. She is an enthusiastic supporter of plant-based nutrition and is committed to educating patients, doctors, and the public about the power of healthy eating and lifestyle modification. Welcome, Dr. Michelle McMacken. Thank you so much, Victoria. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful to be talking to you because I see you at events and I always want to talk with you longer. And now I feel like here's my chance. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We're always passing, passing by. I know. I know. Vegan ships in the night. So, so give us a little bit of history. You know, when, I was married to my first husband, rest his soul, and he was looking at whether he would go to medical school or to chiropractic school or something of that nature. Back at that time, people who were vegetarian, vegan, were not really welcome in the medical profession. And now there is such a strong, almost a little army of plant-based physicians. So tell us your story. How did you become one? Yeah, so I, well, I've been a vegetarian for a very long time, like decades. <laughs> and so um, I went to medical school as a vegetarian, but I don't think I had really um, I don't think I really expected to make a connection between food and health at that time. I was going to, you know, I went to medical school to, for a lot of reasons, one of which is I just loved connecting with people one-on-one. I also loved public health. And, uh, obviously I wanted to work with people to make them healthier, but I just wasn't that aware of the scientific evidence around a plant-based diet back then. And back then there wasn't quite as much of it anyway. So I, you know, I went through medical school following a very traditional paradigm, and my training after medical school was the same, and it was all very heavy in drugs and pharmacology and procedures, and I really didn't get a lot of, really almost no formal training in how do you, you know, how do you talk to a patient who has type 2 diabetes about what they're supposed to be eating and what might actually help them get better? That was not a part of my education really at all. Um, and same thing for a lot of the other things that I see all the time now, like high blood pressure and high cholesterol, uh, heart disease and so forth. So I then embarked on my professional career after my training. And a few years into that, I made the decision to become vegan myself uh, because of, you know, myself making the connection around the food that I was choosing to put on my plate and what it meant for animals and really for our planet and how it was all sort of connected. But I still didn't make the connection around health until I went to a conference Nine years after I had been in practice, it took that long before I was exposed to some of the evidence around food as medicine and the concept that we could actually largely prevent much of the chronic disease that we see and even treat it and sometimes reverse it through nutrition and specifically through um, a diet that's either all or mostly 
plant-based. So for me, I actually didn't face a lot of, um, you know, it wasn't, I, I didn't face a lot of challenges in, in, in med school and, and my residency training because I don't think I was that, I certainly wasn't outspoken around plant-based nutrition then. I just, I didn't even know it myself. But for me, bringing it all together now um, as someone who's chosen to be vegan and also really has, you know, I've, I've, I've just sort of immersed myself in the science of the benefit and then talk to my patients about it all the time. It's like everything has kind of come together. And it's, it's pretty awesome. It's really fun. <laughs> uh, well, you're awesome. Everybody who is lucky enough to have you as a physician just waxes poetic about, oh, my gosh, I wish all oh, doctors could be like Dr. McMacken. So what's it like being a plant-based physician in, in a mainstream medical practice? I mean, you're at a big hospital in New York City. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it's actually pretty exciting. I'm, I think I'm benefiting from the times that we're living in now where, um, people are, there's really an openness to plant-based nutrition now that there wasn't probably five years ago. I think that's probably an understatement. Um, and, and I think because I'm in a mainstream practice, I have people, you know, my patients, the, the vast majority of them are, um, the, unsuspecting individuals who have no idea that I'm going to talk to them about um, how they can change their diet to become healthier. And that's actually really cool because it gives me the chance to open people's eyes to what they can be doing to get healthier and, and dispel a lot of myths that they've heard. And then we get to see the results together if they actually start making changes. And then that translates into this incredible domino effect around the practice because you have one patient that changes their diet and makes a, you know, makes significant changes and then they transform their health. They come off of certain medications and their blood results get better. And then, you know, I love sharing those stories with my colleagues because you can share 500 medical articles, but nothing has an impact like a personal story of transformation. Mm. So, oh, no, and I was going to say, yeah, and that, and that extends to the staff and to even other patients when they talk to each other in the waiting room. So it's, it's really, um, it, it really gets magnified. That's exciting. So what about the realities of practicing medicine today? I hear from so many physicians, well, we can't do health education. We only get 15 minutes with a patient. Uh, this kind of thing isn't often covered by insurance. You know, do you run into those kinds of problems? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my practice is as, you know, the, the timeframes are as short as anywhere else. And it's, I don't have um, the luxury of spending an hour with my patients, unfortunately. So um, I have to deliver the information efficiently and I have to deliver it over a series of visits. Um, but I really choose to, I choose to make it a priority. And um, I, even if I can't talk about everything in one visit, I'm always planting seeds, so to speak. I mean, I'm always talking about food at least a little bit and sometimes a lot if the person's really motivated and they really want to make the changes and they're they're hungry for the information. So um, I do think that the ideal model for um, helping people change behavior as important as their diet and something that's as ingrained as their diet is not a only a one-to-one doctor-patient conversation. It really should be a whole team. And that would be not just the doctor sort of saying, I think this is important and I would like you for you to do this and here's what I, where I would love to see you go with this, but also a dietitian, nutritionist, health coach, 
you know, you could you could think of a whole group of people that would be valuable in a team like that, and that would be absolutely ideal. Not not every practice can do that, um, and I don't have that necessarily in my practice either. But um, I do what I can. And the other thing that a lot of people do is they run group sessions. That's something that's um, very popular now in medicine because you can deliver information really efficiently to a group of people, and and there's a synergy around people getting to ask questions in front of other people and exchanging their own stories. So um, those are some ways that people are doing it, but um, there certainly are challenges. And what about the argument, well, I would tell patients about lifestyle, but they're not going to change anyway. Oh, that drives me crazy. That drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's a patronizing attitude when you think about it. And of course, I have patients that are not going to change. Of course, I, you know, everyone has the, everyone knows someone like that. Um, but, but the majority of people need, need guidance. They need support. And there are different levels and, you know, stages of interest in change. And it's your job to, to give them a chance. It, you know, why would I, why would I not give them a chance? I, I remember there was a patient I saw. Gosh, it must be two years ago now, and it was a new patient visit, and he was a gentleman in his 60s who had um, obstructive sleep apnea, which is a condition that's um, often linked to excess body weight, and he was probably about um, 60 or 70 pounds overweight. He had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, sort of the whole whole, um, thing, and he came to me, and I didn't think there was a lot of interest, but I did bring up dietary change. And we talked a little bit about things he could do. And I printed a handout on a plant-based diet. And, and I said, this is really great information if you're interested and, and it might be very powerful for you. Um, and I wasn't sure how interested he really was, but he came back to me <laughs> three months later. And he, he had lost 20 pounds. He actually had cured just from that. His sleep apnea was already better. His blood pressure was better and his cholesterol had dropped like 30 points. Wow. And I had no, he was, he was on that end of the spectrum where I thought he's probably not going to make a lot of changes. So you just never know until you give people a chance. What a great story. So Dr. McMacken, out there in the world, in the plant-based world at least, in some circles, it really seems like this is a panacea. I mean, yeah. you know, you hear people say, oh my gosh, I have a cold. I'm not supposed to get a cold. Right. It's like, well, you know, nobody's supposed to, but everybody does. And so what do we do with this idea? How miraculous is this? I think I think on the one hand, um, you know, in the broader public eye, it's underappreciated um, the power of food and specifically the power of a plant-based eating pattern. I think that is underappreciated. But the converse is that, just as you're saying, in the plant-based community, I think there tends to be a little bit of, oh, you know, this is going to be the thing that protects me against everything. And if you're getting sick or if you're having a problem, there must be something you're doing wrong with your diet. And I do think that's a destructive approach um, and it's a destructive attitude because although diet is really predominant in determining our, our health destiny, it's not the only thing. And um, this comes up a lot with um, body weight issues as well. And I, I think that, you know, there's, there is, a, it is very complicated. There are, genetics do play a role and other factors do play a role. And we, we have to have some humility around um, the language that we use and the attitudes that we have um, about plant-based diets being able to kind of fix everything. 
So you mentioned weight, and I know that you do a, a weight management program as, as part of your work, and that is just such a touchy subject, certainly in, in the vegan world. You know, we hear a lot about body shaming and health shaming, and yet medically, isn't obesity a real threat? Yeah, it's it's a uh, you know it's um, it's a very very common problem, and it is at the it is at the root of a lot of chronic disease. And it, it definitely even if you know you can be health exists on a spectrum. So um, there can be people who are you know very overweight who tend to have be for some reason metabolically protected and don't have the diabetes or high blood pressure that we might see in someone who's at the same weight um but everybody who carries you know significant excess body weight increases their risk of cancer and other conditions so it is a risk and it is a common problem and i i i don't think it should be minimized um i i i think it's very very complicated with the our approach to to weight loss is kind of gets back to what we were talking about before as a as a medical community it's always like assuming that the patient's not going to change or giving you know very you know a little bit of lip service to lifestyle change and then quickly moving on to well let's try some weight loss drugs or you know bariatric surgery and um i think those those things also have an important role but we're not in in some cases we're just not giving real support for lifestyle change, a chance. Um, by, but, but again, by the converse, it's not really fair to say if someone's eating and doing the best they can and eating a very reasonable diet, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get to their ideal body weight because it is. There's a lot of factors that govern uh, the body weight that that you that a person has. Yeah, I think it's really important to just do the best you can based on what you know today, and then accept yourself as you are today. Because I do think there are all these messages coming from the media and hither, thither, and yon telling us exactly what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to be. And it can be, it can be really tough. Right. And the more that one feels bad about how they look or feels bad in their body or feels shame, um, the harder it is going to be to treat yourself Right. <laughs> to, yeah. And to make changes that might result in you being becoming healthier if if you're not already doing them. So right. so I, I agree completely. So are, are vegan doctors biased? You know, I, I look at the documentaries and, and, and I, I read what all of our wonderful people say and I love them all. <laughs> and yet <laughs> it seems that they are seeing science that others of equal prominence out there in the world just aren't seeing. You never hear these non-plant-based doctors quoting these plant-based studies. What's the deal? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of deep <laughs> issues rolled up in that, in that question. Um, on the question of bias and whether vegan doctors are biased, this is something I think about all the time because Unlike a lot of the um, other sort of plant-based doctors that are out there, I was vegan before I learned around the science about the health benefits of a plant-based diet. So for me, I am definitely looking at the, you know, I have the potential to look at the science through a lens of my own personal choices. But I think that the, so I think it's a valid question. 
But I think the equally valid question is, are omnivore doctors biased? Mm. Because when, when you think about it, they may, there are probably, um, unrecognized or subconscious biases that they have because they've presumably grown up as omnivores. They've been exposed to this, you know, innumerable social industry, family, et cetera, messages that normalize and even promote the role of animal products in the diet. They have read the scientific literature and built their expertise in that omnivorous context. And then I would say probably in the vast majority of cases, I would assume they themselves have a personal interest in continuing to eat animal products. So the difference between, I think, a vegan physician looking at the literature and maybe an omnivore is that I'm aware that I have the potential to have a bias. And I think it's really important for vegan physicians or plant-based physicians to um, acknowledge to ourselves how our perspectives might influence our reading of the literature and to really try very, very hard to present the science in a way that's completely as honest as we can and not overstating the benefits of a plant-based diet. Um, but I think, and I think ironically, if we do that, we're actually possibly less biased because we're aware it's like anything when you're aware of the bias, that's the first step. And so I, I think that, um, I, I think there's a lot of unrecognized bias in people who are seen as quote unquote neutral. Hmm. Fascinating. So this segs really well into something that I was hoping I would have time to ask you about because I actually asked Dr. T. Colin Campbell the same question in last week, well, two weeks ago, uh, episode. And that is about this sugar divide. It seems like when you go to Netflix and you're looking for a health documentary, you either find one of ours, it's plant-based, 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 or <laughs> you find one of these, if you just don't eat sugar, Everything will be fixed and they don't like grains and they don't like fruit. And it's just, excuse me, how can two groups of people in the same profession supposedly reading the same journals come to such vastly different conclusions? Right. So I think a lot of that has to do with how it's presented through the lens of the media and um, the, you know, whatever, wherever you're seeing at the documentary or the article in the media, trying to catch people and engage people. And so when you present things as an argument or a debate, it's intriguing, right? It draws people in. And also it's presented as being very one-sided or flat. So you're either completely anti-sugar or you're anti-meat and there's nowhere that they'll meet in the middle. And that's of course not how it really is. I mean, I, I there's probably no whole food plant-based doctors that recommend sugar, adding, adding, having a high sugar diet. And, um, there are certainly anti-sugar doctors who recommend eating a lot of plant foods. So, so I think that part of it is just how it's portrayed and the fact that it really sells a product if you portray it as a, as a war between two groups. Um, but deep down there are, there are some core differences. And I think that, um, you know, my, my experience is that some of the, some of the, the physicians and, and 
leaders who are very, very against sugar, um, and they're arguing for more animal fat and more animal protein in the diet and kind of reducing all carbohydrate-rich foods, um, that's really going against what most nutrition sciences have a consensus that there's a, there's a gro- you know, there's a very large body of literature showing that animal fats and animal proteins do tend to cause harm. And that when you get your carbohydrates from whole plant foods, primarily, that that's exceedingly beneficial for us. It's, it's really, it's a framework that's well accepted. If you look at the dietary guidelines for, you know, the scientific advisory committee for the, the, in 2015 for the United States, um, dietary guidelines actually said we should be eating more plant-based foods and less animal foods. And similar thing in the recent Canada food guide, similar things in guidelines from other countries all over the world. These are, you know, even the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists is now recommending a plant-based diet. These are main, this is, a, this is their, there's broad acceptance that plant foods are good for you. And so, um, I think that, I think that, um, th- there, there's a very vocal group of people that are presenting an anti-carbohydrate message. Um, but I'm not sure that they have, in my opinion, um, all of the science behind them. I think that the, the other problem is when you talk about nutrients, instead of talking about foods, it's very confusing. So I think a lot of plant-based doctors would agree that a carbohydrate could be something, carbohydrate-rich food could be something that's good for you or something that's not so good for you, depending on what where it, what it is. So if it's, you know, if it's beans, it's great for you. If it's a white bagel, it's not so great for you. So don't, don't use the word carbohydrates because you're lumping two things together that are very different. Oh, yeah, that's one of the words I so wish there were two words for because it's Uh, really confusing. And so often new group. (laughs) Well, we do. And people will say, oh, it's those carbs. It's the pizza. It's the ice cream. When calorically, way more of those foods are fat. Yeah. Right. Right. So we see in in the plant-based world, a lot of great results with obesity, with type 2 diabetes, certainly with heart disease. And yet so many people, I think especially women, are dealing with more mysterious conditions. I mean, just in my um, group of friends, and certainly when I was doing uh, more one-on-one coaching, it was lupus, Lyme, IBS, PMS, menopausal symptoms, thyroid issues. What about all these things? Does a a whole foods plant-based diet help these things at all? Yeah, I mean, the science is probably is is not as... um, the, the published studies on plant-based diets for those conditions, there, there's not as many of them as there are for, um, say, for diabetes or for heart disease or cholesterol. And so it's a little harder to draw conclusions. But I think it's actually a really exciting area right now because of the connection with the microbiome and uh, our you know, we, the relationship that we know that our eating patterns have with the type of gut bacteria and gut organisms that we have and how that in turn leads to, um, health outcomes. So for example, we know that there's probably a link between, um, eating a low fiber diet versus a high fiber diet, um, affecting the type of bacteria that you have and causing inflammation and, um, in, in, in sort of the, this idea about the leaky gut where you get molecules, things passing across the intestinal border that can increase your risk for autoimmune disease. Uh, these are, it's all in a very, um, 
it, it, it's an exciting area that people are actively researching, but there's nothing that we can say that's conclusive. I think we have a lot of anecdotal or experiential evidence that people feel better and in many cases get better when they adopt a plant-based diet and they have those conditions because we know everybody should be eating more plants. Um, and there's, you know, we know it reduces inflammation and other things that help modify the disease process and help make it better. But can I, can I say, oh, you have a thyroid condition or, oh, you have, um, an, an autoimmune condition, you're going to cure that. And I'm, I'm pretty certain of it. If you adopt a plant-based diet, no. Um, so I do know that it's, it's a healthy way to eat. And so it will benefit you in other ways as well. And hopefully it will, you're, these conditions will go along with it. But I think the science is is not quite there yet. That's such a great answer and such a, a wonderful holistic view because even if something isn't specifically affected or directly affected, I always think on, on so many of the forms you fill out at a doctor's office, often there's a question that says, you know, how's your general health? And it's like, <laughs> you know, if, if you get better general health, it's got to right. support your ability to deal with or, or heal whatever is going on. So um, <laughs> when I was talking with Bruce, he mentioned um, that Richard Branson is pro plant-based meats and things like that. And yet um, his Virgin Airlines is not a vegan airline. So I just wanted to ask, how's the cafeteria <laughs> food at Bellevue? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, um I would say we have, we have some, we have some options, but I think like most hospitals, there's, you know, there's a long way to go. Uh, we actually, one of my favorite things that happened in 2017 was that, um, a colleague and I, fellow plant-based doctor and I started a 21 day healthy eating plant-based kickstart for our staff that we work with. And we had a hundred staff members sign up at our hospital. And we had everybody eat plant-based for three weeks. And we completely transformed the culture of the office. Literally, people were talking about food nonstop. <laughs> talking, we started a Facebook um, support group for, you know, in a private support group for ourselves. And everyone was posting their dinners and their lunches. We did raffles for um, where you could enter um, more times the more plant-based meals you you ate. Um, we gave out Forks Over Knives magazine and we had potlucks. And so um, I think that, you know, there's a long way to go in terms of the actual food that's served in the hospital. And there's a lot of a lot of reasons why um why it's hard to change, but there's interest among the staff and, and the employees in working towards a healthier diet. And um, that was one of the most fun things I did in 2017. It was so exciting. That sounds so fun. That you and Oprah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I would love to be linked up get, with her. <laughs> get, get the staff. You know, I don't know if she's going to do any vegan stuff again now that she pretty much owns Weight Watchers. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting how, um, you know, people can kind of touch this and then move away from it. So one of the things that you do is you teach other doctors. You teach nutrition to um student doctors what's that like so um i oh for the most part it's been um extremely rewarding because i think that uh people like i said before we're at an era i think where there's really an openness towards this concept and i'm not teaching you know my when i teach nutrition i'm not teaching hi hi we're going to sit down and learn about a plant-based diet i talk about what is an what is the evidence-based 
show that we should be eating. If you, if you had the time to read all the nutrition science out there, what consensus would you come to around eating patterns that promote health? And that actually circles back to a plant-based diet anyway, because we should be eating mostly plants and, in, and ideally we should, I, I think, be eating all plants, but eating mostly plants is so far from where most people are that um, we don't have to argue about that last five or 10% from the pure nutrition standpoint. Let's get people from, you know, the 6% to the 80 or 90% that we'd really like to see. So um, people, I think that message resonates with people. And I think the real barrier, what, what makes it tricky is just that um, talking about food is obviously very personal. So it's not like I'm giving a lecture on some hot new drug that came on the market that everyone can get excited about because they probably are never going to be taking it themselves. It's just when you talk about food, they're going to leave my lecture and go have a meal. And they feel awkward when I talk about healthy eating or plant, you know, eating more plant foods, because if they're not doing it, they feel like they're a hypocrite if they're telling their patient you should eat this. And so we spend some time and I spend some time in either at the beginning, middle and end of, of a lecture kind of unpacking that a little bit because I think it's a very normal reaction to have. Um, and I think people, you know, have to be, have to acknowledge that they may have a personal interest in continuing to eat the way that they eat now, or they might find it hard to change. Um, but if they find it hard to change, that's, that's in a way an advantage because you can understand how your patient feels. Um, and so you might be able to help, you know, have some humility around how you talk to your patient. Um, but I think, you know, my goal is always to get them to recognize that there's a vast amount of evidence and that it's such a powerful thing that we do, this this habit of eating. <laughs> and it has so much power to change our patients' lives that we really owe it to them to give them a chance. And if you don't want to change yourself, that's, of course, up to you. Um, although it would be great if you did start to change because doctors that kind of practice what they preach are much better at preaching. Um, not not that I like not that I like to preach, but, you know, you know, you're better at counseling. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. So how about from the other side? And we, we don't have a lot of time left. But what about a person going to the doctor and the doctor is not plant based and may or may not be familiar with it at all? How, how does the layperson communicate with the physician? So I think that I think that it's, um, that's a, that is a hard situation. And I've, I've been in that situation myself and it can be, it can actually be super frustrating. Um, I think that if you, the most important thing, if you don't have a doctor that who themselves is plant-based, which most people don't, I think the next most, the next best thing is to have a doctor that's open-minded and is not, at least not going to dissuade you <laughs> and think that you have, you know, tell you that your vegan diet is so unhealthy or that you're low in protein or stuff that's just really, really, um, a tired and non-evidence-based commentary. Um, and so if that's the case, I think that you probably just need a new doctor. If your doctor's not open to that at all, then you, you it's really just not a good fit. Um, but if your doctor is open to it, that's fantastic. And you, in, in modeling your eating patterns, in modeling a plant-based diet, especially if you're someone who's had a chronic disease and actually gets better, that's actually very important for the doctor to see. And it's actually, it's, it's a great form of teaching. Yes. 
Ah, oh, well, <laughs> I just wish that you were there teaching all the doctors and all the lay people because you have such a lovely way about you. And you're also so accepting of people. I, I think whenever people look at your your resume and it's like, oh, she runs a weight loss center. I don't know if I want to talk to her, but you're just you're, you're so kind and accepting of, of every person just exactly where we are. And that that means a great deal. So, Dr. Michelle McMacken, bless your heart and your practice and your future. You're changing the world. So, everybody, you can keep up with Dr. McMacken on Twitter and Instagram, where she is veg underscore MD. Don't we all wish we had one of those? And all the (laughs) other information, ways to contact uh, Bruce and Dr. McMacken will be on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Next week's program, we're going to be talking about saving this planet. There's a lot we need to do to stem climate change, and we are going to be covering as much of that as we can next week. Thanks, everybody, for being part of this process. Thanks to Unity Online Radio, to our engineer, Jeff Comfort, and to each and every one of you. God bless you bunches and bunches, and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. You were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant. Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Optimist sees the good in all things, builds upon the most hopeful and cheerful view of matters, and expects the best possible outcome. The pessimist, unwilling to look for the good, rarely finds it. Both optimism and pessimism are states of mind. 
They are attitudes, not events. The words we most often use reflect our strongly held thoughts and affect every area of our lives. If you're finding more frustration than fulfillment in your life, take a look at what you're thinking. Find something more positive to think, say, or do. Begin building a happier, more satisfying life for yourself today as you choose to look for and find the good in every person and circumstance. This law of life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.